0: Okay. Last week, we took a quick look at one of the consequences of sins against purity, which fall upon the man who actually commits those sins. Let's make a quick review. We saw that these sins inflame the passions. There are four levels of blindness inflicted on the intellect of a man who sins by lust. First, intellectual blindness. The image in his imagination is messed up because of the violent excitement that lust causes in the passions. These raging passions color the image, which means that the picture of reality that he has in his imagination is focused directly on the object of pleasure, and that leaves everything else fuzzy, indistinct, blurred, exaggerated. Now, because the image in his imagination is messed up, the intellect, which relies on imagination to stay in contact with that reality just isn't getting a clear focus. In fact, it can't because all that's available to it is its distorted, passion-overridden imagination. And the more perverted or depraved the sins, the more those passions distort the image. So the more out of contact with reality the man becomes. So the first problem with sins of lust is intellectual blindness. Second, rashness and judgment. The man afflicted by such blindness isn't able to make a clear assessment of what's appropriate in a particular situation. Third, thoughtlessness. This man's blindness and rashness make it impossible for him to carefully consider and choose the best of his options. Fourth, inconstancy. This man is so carried away by his passions He's actually hindered from doing what his reason tells him ought to be done. He's a slave of his passions. He's a slave of his lower appetites. We've also seen there are four problems in the will that result from sins of lust. Self-love, hatred of God, love of this world, despair about the future life. We also can see why sinners get so agitated when they hear the church's teaching on purity. Why? Because their passions are already so inflamed and excited that they're already having a difficult time controlling them. And all of a sudden, they're faced, they're provoked with a painful truth that excites those passions. It's a truth which is threatening to the very pleasures that they're living for. This is just like spurning a bronchi horse. They're so close to the point. They can scarcely control themselves. We can see what a great responsibility God has placed before each one of us to pray, fast, and intercede for our poor neighbors enslaved by lust. Since by our prayers, by our small sacrifices, we can help rescue them from the eternal damnation which is looming over them. So much for our review. Sins of lust, whenever and however they're committed, not only have very serious personal consequences, they also have very serious consequences for the society. Lots of very serious social consequences. In spite of what some may claim, sexual sins are not victimless crimes. What people do, even secretly, has potentially grave consequences for the society at large. Sins of lust inflame the passions. The more these passions have been inflamed and perverted, the more difficult they are to get under control. And the more the mental state of that man gets moved closer and closer to the out of his mind due to passion extremes. Like what happens when someone actually commits a crime of passion, as we saw last week. The closer a man moves to that extreme of being totally dragged around by his passions, the more difficulty he has in controlling. Especially these three problems: gluttony, anger, and lust. Gluttony, anger, lust. Okay, so what? Let's just consider one. Aspect of the problem we're facing in our society pornography. Four years ago, in the year 2000, Hollywood released 400 movies. The so called adult film industry released 11,000 movies. There were 700 million rentals of those movies in that year. Almost a billion rentals. On top of that, only the good Lord knows how many of these sins were being committed by people viewing websites, bad TV shows, movies, newspapers, picture books, you name it. We do know that when the movies, networks, websites, phone numbers, magazines, and so forth are totaled, this industry grosses between 10 and $14 billion per year. And that's more than the combined intakes of professional football, professional basketball, and professional baseball. Now stop and ponder the damage that this level of pornography has to have on a society. Now that we know what it does to the individual, we've been following St. Thomas, let's take it from the individual and apply it to the society of large. When we have a society in which millions, literally millions of people are committing sins against purity over and over and over again, that society will be moving more and more profoundly into intellectual and spiritual blindness. But that's not all. Just take a moment to think of what else this implies as you think about all those consequences we've already talked about to the individual, if this sinful behavior continues unopposed because of the very force of the millions of sinners who have become increasingly unable to control their passions, because of the very force of millions of sinners living ever and ever closer to the border of that out of their mind due to passion extreme, what's the necessary result? You have millions and millions of people enslaved to their passions. You have millions and millions of people that can scarcely control themselves. Now, there's only two ways to control men, from the inside or from the outside. From the inside is by virtue. That's why you have to raise your children with godly discipline. You're instilling that from the outside so that hopefully they'll be able to walk around safely because you've ingrained those virtues into them. From the outside, it's done with force. That's why we build prisons. Virtue or force, those are the only two ways to control men. And if you produce a society that has millions and millions of men that are unable to control themselves, that society will either descend into anarchy or tyranny will be imposed before anarchy breaks out completely. Why? Because there's only those two ways of controlling men. From the inside with virtue, from the outside with force, vicious men must be ruled with force, and a society that becomes dominated by lust is a society of vicious men. A society that's dominated by lust is a society doomed, to anarchy and tyranny. We'll take a brief look at two historical examples, France and Russia. France. For decades before the French Revolution, there was an atmosphere of decay. Key features of the culture preceding the revolution included the necessary attacks on our holy faith, combined with insane theories that sexual prohibitions weren't needed by men, in the state of nature. This was assisted by a vast amount of pornography. Their aristocracy were completely immersed in pornography and immoral behavior. That's in the decades leading up to the revolution. What's happening? The masses of people enslaved to their passions is growing and growing because of this kind of behavior. Now listen to this highly edited account of the time of the revolution itself and this is highly edited. Quote, The tidal wave of sexual anarchy swept over the whole nation. The divorce rates skyrocketed so high that their numbers surpassed that of marriages. The number of followings born out of wedlock and abandoned soared. There was a similar increase in the number of magdalens. The restraints of sexual instincts were abandoned. Abominations were openly performed, Festivals were accompanied by abominations. Young men and women grew openly licentious, and this kind of behavior became a fashion. All else was forgotten in a lust of pleasure. Women's clothing became completely immodest and pagan. The dregs of society resembled Sodom and Gomorrah. And side by side with this common licentiousness, sadistic actions became daily occurrences. In brief debauchery reached its maximum. It got so bad at times during the terror, after violating people, they gut them out and used intestines as turbans, eating human flesh, cannibalism. This is the kind of thing going on in the terror. Russia. <clears throat> Most instructive is undoubtedly the radical attempt of the Soviets to eliminate capitalistic monogamy, and establish complete sexual freedom as a cornerstone of the communist economic and social regime. During the first stage of the revolution, its leaders deliberately attempted to destroy marriage and the family. Free love was glorified by the official glass-of-water theory. If a person is thirsty, so at the party line, it is immaterial what glass he uses when satisfying his thirst. It is equally unimportant how he satisfies another kind of hunger. The legal distinction between marriage and casual relations was abolished. The communist law spoke only of contracts between males and females for the satisfaction of their desires, either for an indefinite or definite period, a year, a month, a week, or even for a single night. One could marry and divorce as many times as desired husband or wife could obtain a divorce without the other being notified. It was not even necessary that marriages be registered. Bigamy and even polygamy were permissible under the new provisions. By the way, not something that we have going on. This is the first in history. Abortion was facilitated in state institutions. Premarital relations were praised and extramarital relations were considered normal. <clears throat> Within a few years, hordes of wild homeless children became a real menace to the Soviet Union itself. We can think of neighborhoods in American cities like this. Millions of lives, especially of young girls, were wrecked. Divorces skyrocketed, as did abortions. The hatreds and conflicts between mates rapidly mounted, and so did neurosis. Work in the national factories slackened. The total results were so appalling that the government was forced to reverse its policy. The propaganda of the glass-of-water theory was declared to be counter-revolutionary, and its place was taken by official glorification of premarital chastity and of the sanctity of marriage. Abortion was prohibited except since 1945 under certain conditions. The liberty of divorce was radically curtailed by the decree of July 14, 1944, it was made impossible for the vast majority of citizens. By the time this was written in the early 50s, quote, Soviet Russia today, this is in the 50s, has a more monogamous, stable, and Victorian family and marriage life than do most of the Western countries. Does any of that sound familiar? Both examples sound just like what's going on around us. There's only two ways to control men. From the inside with virtue, following God's laws. Following God's laws, which we're throwing out. Or from the outside with force. Virtue or force. Those are the only two ways to control men. And if you produce a society that has millions and millions of men unable to control themselves that society is doomed to anarchy or tyranny, either virtue or force. Vicious men have to be ruled by force. A society dominated by lust is a society of vicious men. A society dominated by lust is doomed to anarchy and or tyranny. When God permits his people to fall into the hands of clergy, who are priests more in name than in deed, it is a very positive proof that he is thoroughly angry with his people and is visiting his most dreadful anger upon them. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wake up and smell the sulfur. We need to base some hard, painful facts. It's obvious from the state of our beloved church Our beloved nation, that we are under the judgment of God. We've rashly rejected His warm, loving hand, and we've placed ourselves out of the sphere of mercy and into the sphere of judgment. We need to repent. We need to become holy. We need to quit offending God. We need to quit offending God. We have a huge responsibility here. We need to be making communions of reparation. Even though we've been talking about sins against human bodies, that's Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, whole and entire in the most blessed sacrament. And how many sacrilegious communions have we done all over America today? No more sacrilegious communions. He's placed himself in a position where he won't protect himself. If we're going to allow the body of his son to be abused, then how can we expect him to protect the bodies of our sons? From abuse. No more sacrilegious communions. We need to make communions of reparation. We need to get serious. Whining, complaining, feeling bad, feeling sorry for ourselves isn't going to change anything. But holiness, holiness can change everything. We need to become holy. The storm clouds are on the horizon. We need to become holy before it's too late. We've rejected the warm and loving hand of God.